Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today, you get an extra gospel reading. So, here's the gospel of our Lord according to St. Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled in the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her own age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. There's nothing like the cry of a loved one to make you get up and run into the other room, right? Maybe it's a child who's gotten himself into trouble. Maybe it's a spouse. And we all who are married know that there's a difference between the spouse calling out and the spouse, you know, calling out in fear, right? Calling out with a deep need. We know the difference. In today's readings, we're celebrating the Annunciation. And as we celebrate the Annunciation of our Lord, a lot of people ask, what the heck is this feast doing in the middle of Lent? Here we are talking about repentance, talking about are asking the Lord to change our sinful affections or desires as we've prayed. And here we are talking about the um, conception of Jesus, the Annunciation, literally the announcement of Jesus. Anybody know why? Yeah, nine months. 
You do the math, and nine months from now we're at Christmas. And hopefully some of you recognized that Christmas carol that we sang as the, the sequence hymn, but it's also an Annunciation carol, right? It's all about the, an, the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary the coming of Christ. Multiple times over the week, we've heard about repentance over the past few weeks, repentance, self-control, self-giving, giving of alms. And we're talking about conception today, but notice, if you would, with me, that there is a theme that runs through from the Exodus passage through, actually, both gospel passages today, both um, the uh, first one and the second one. What's going on in Exodus 3? Let's look at that together. Open with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. It's an easy one, guys. Genesis, Exodus, right? Our gospel reading started at the beginning of chapter 3 in Exodus. But what's going on here in the book of Exodus? Why is Moses out with some sheep grazing when he comes upon the burning bush? If your Bible knowledge isn't that good, maybe think to one of the movies. What's happened here? What's going on? Why is Moses doing this? Yeah. He's hiding, right? Why is he hiding? He's killed an Egyptian. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you look back at the beginning of the book, what's going on with God's people at this point? Is all going well? No. No. That's always an easy answer. <laughs> What's happened to God's people at the beginning of Exodus? Yeah, they were enslaved, right? So look back at chapter 1 with me, at what's going on here. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Which Joseph are we talking about? The Old Testament Joseph, right? What happened with Joseph? How did God's people get to Israel? Come on, you guys are asleep this morning. Just shout it out. They needed food, right? How did God's people get to, get, to, get to Egypt? Right? Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were in the Old Testament talking about this. His brothers show up. And Joseph now is Pharaoh's right-hand man in charge of all the granaries, right? And they're starving. And Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Come here. Come to Egypt to survive. But what's happened here? The author of Exodus is letting us know that a new king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, it's been 400 years do you think this is just like the king's son? No. Right? This new pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. Why? Why is that important? He doesn't know God's people. He doesn't know why they're there. 
They've become completely strange to him. And he doesn't remember the favor that had been granted to Joseph by his predecessor, right? Verse 9, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So what's his problem with the, with the Jews, the Hebrews at this point? He, yeah, he fears them. They're, they're too prosperous. They're growing too well, right? And so he goes through all sorts of ruthless tasks. Perhaps the most ruthless of them is verse 17, but let's see, verse 15 rather. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. And if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, and you shall let every daughter live. Verse 2, we get the story of Moses. Why is Moses put in a basket and put in the river Nile? Because of this backstory. Pharaoh's trying to do population control on the Hebrews. Now, look with me at the end of chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What's God remembering here? Someone said it. His promise. His covenant to them. Yeah. I know we're doing a little tour, but what particularly? Turn back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 14 of chapter 15, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, 
you shall be buried in good old age. What's God remembering here? His promise. What's God remembering here? This promise, particularly. Do you see? God's people are enslaved. God's people are being killed. And God doesn't just see that, but remembers. And as verse 25 of chapter 2 says, God knew. God knew. And so here we are with Moses tending these flocks. And God himself, through an angel first, appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And what does God say to Moses? Many things, right? He tells Moses who he is. But look at verse 7 of today's Old Testament passage. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites. And then we get all the ites, right? Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. What's the connection to Mary? What's the connection to the Annunciation here? What's being set up as a foreshadowing, as the book of Hebrews so commonly says in the Old Testament, here in Exodus? What's being set up here, do you see, is the position of mankind, not just the Hebrews, but all people enslaved by sin, being killed, being run over by the wages of sin and suffering and death. Is God ambivalent to that? No. No. God reaches into history time and time again. And here we see in the Old Testament, God using Moses as his instrument. Notice, what's Moses' response to the Lord's calling him? Verse 10 of chapter 3, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to my people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. What's Moses' response to God's call? Lord, 
Why send me? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Now note, how is this passage echoed in the gospel passage of today? Who once again comes? Instead of being in a burning bush, we have the angel Gabriel appearing to whom? Mary, to be the mother of Jesus. And if you note, and I can't go through all of them, but it's really exciting. If you go through and you compare these passages, you see common patterns. You see comparisons and contrasts of what God says, what the angel says, what Moses replies, what Mary replies. In the story of the Annunciation, when Mary is greeted by the angel, what's her reply? The angel comes to her and says, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be a great, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, Will be no, well, there will be no end. First of all, this is a little bit better than just being freed from slavery, right? How does Mary reply? And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And notice Mary is not like Moses trying to get out of the job. Mary is not objecting. Moses is, Mary is just saying, Here's the facts of life, Lord. How's this going to happen? I'm not married yet. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, what? The Son of God. The Son of God. And behold, then we talk about John the Baptist. And what does Mary say? Finally. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Theologically, why does the Annunciation usually fall during Lent? What does the story of the Hebrews have to do with the story of Jesus going to the cross? What does the stories of the Hebrew and the incarnation of our Lord have to do with us as we travel through a time of Lent? Do you see what's happening? It's the big picture. It's the big picture. As we're here in Lent, as we're struggling, as we're repenting, as we're asking the Lord to purify us, we're reminded by both passages, that we have been in slavery, but the Lord has done something about it. We're being reminded that the Lord has provided for us Jesus Christ himself. We're reminded that not through the Red Sea, but through 
other waters, the waters of holy baptism, you and I are taken out of slavery too and washed and brought to a land of milk and honey, namely to the kingdom of God. Do you see it's all tied together? And what does this say to us practically? It says that, well, whether we're still struggling, when we're still struggling with slavery, when we're still struggling with the things of this world, the sins that we can't break out of, the hurt, the relationships, the fact that death is still looming large in our lives, the fact that, that the kingdom of God has not yet been fully consummated. When we struggle with that, we look back to this and we see the bigger picture and we're given hope. On this Feast of the Annunciation, friends, go forth from this place continuing to rely on the grace of God in your struggle as you repent, as you are cleansed. But remember, the victory has been won. God has spoken into that situation, into your situation and my situation. And we don't go alone. Amen.